Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. Sorry for the slight delay there. There was somebody else doing an interview in here, and I'm going, oh, my God, you're wrapping up, aren't you? <laughs> no worries. I just wanted to make sure. I, I knew we, like, tossed around different times, so I wanted to Yeah. No, no, we're good. Um, so um, so what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll, I'll take a little pause, read a little intro, and then we'll kind of jump in. Um, what What is your time like? Because I don't want to keep kind of droning on, and then there's, you know, <laughs> I know you said you had a 3.30. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess how long were you hoping to go? Nowhere near that long, but I mean, I would just figured we'd touch a little bit on the Senate race, a little bit on the governor's race, a little bit on the redistricting, and depending upon your answers, that could go for a while. <laughs> so I didn't want to kind of be like, oh, he's got another question, I gotta go, you know? No, all right, all right. I'm yeah, I'm all right, like schedule wise, unless the Supreme Court makes a decision on the maps or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure. Breaking news. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, then I'll just, like I said, I'll take a little pause and then I'll uh, I'll jump right in. And uh, I don't anticipate it going real, real long, but, you know, sometimes they go well and they get real sort of free flowing and they go longer than I expect. <laughs> All right. I know more about the governor's race than the Senate race, but I can make do on either. Sure, sure. All right. It's another edition of the 21 News podcast, and it seems like there couldn't be more going on in Ohio politics. I'm Managing Editor Justin Mitchell, and with me today to go over a number of the biggest political stories right now is Jesse Baumert from the Columbus Dispatch. Jesse, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So um, I want to just jump right in. Um, we'll start with, and I know you just told me before we got started here that, you're, uh, that the governor's race is the one that you can probably talk the most about, so we'll work up to that. We'll start with the Senate race. <laughs> let's, let's start with the Senate race. Um, First off, a shifting and hotly contested race on the GOP side. Um, so I guess let's just start there. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on how that's going to shake out? What kind of role the former president's going to ultimately play or not play? Um, for a long time, we've seen Josh Mandel appearing to lead the pack. Now it looks like it's getting a lot tighter and he may be falling pretty fast. Yeah, it's a really fascinating race. And I think if you're interested in politics, this is a fun one to watch. Obviously, this race is an open seat because uh, former or the current senator, Rob Portman, is um, is leaving that position. And so it's uh, opportunity, especially for Republicans in a state that's leaning more and more red to pick that up. So as you said, Josh Mandel, a former state treasurer, is has been seen as a frontrunner for most of the race, in part because he's won elections before. He went against Sherrod Brown previously, um, so just has a little bit more name recognition than some of these other candidates. But you're also seeing candidates starting to spend a decent amount of money to introduce themselves to voters. So you have people like Mike Gibbons, a businessman who also ran in 18, or you have uh, Jane Timken, who the former chairwoman of the Ohio Republican Party, and she picked up a key endorsement from Rob Portman, and I think that'll be helpful to her. As far as what the president, former president Donald Trump is going to do, um, my colleague Haley B. Miller took a little bit of a look at this, and I think uh, former President Trump is really weighing his options and looking for someone to pull ahead. Um, he's been pretty focused on endorsing winners and, and doesn't want to pick the wrong course in the race, I suppose. Uh, so now, Timken, at this point, is not pulling ahead. She's still probably single digits. However, 
you know, Bernie Marino leaves the race. Kellyanne Conway goes to Timken. Marino leaves the race reportedly after a discussion with Donald Trump about there being too many MAGA candidates in the race. So Conway goes to Timken. Portman, who is the in a sense, the least Trumpy Republican you'll ever see, and yet also very much an insider who had, you know, it was very quick to endorse Trump in 2020. Um, definitely a guy who kind of knows where the pulse is. Now you've got a couple other former Trump staffers joining Timken. Um, I, you know, let me know if this is too much speculation, but I'm starting to wonder myself if there's not some movement behind the scenes to try and put the momentum behind Timken, even though it doesn't seem to be there yet. Yeah, I think uh, Timken's campaign is making a lot of moves, and you mentioned most of them. And so uh, I think uh, everyone in this race, with the exception of, of current state Senator Matt Dolan, is seeking Donald Trump's endorsement. And so you're trying to make some momentum for yourself or make some changes that would potentially attract his his support. And uh, Jane Timken, very early on while she was still chair before she got into the U.S. Senate race, did an interview with Cleveland.com and talked about um, U.S. Rep. Anthony Gonzalez, who voted to impeach uh, former President Trump and kind of her support of him is maybe something that's gumming up that endorsement that's something that mm -hmm. trump would not be seeing as favorably but you also have other candidates like jd vance uh who is the author who of hillbilly elegy and kind of a venture capitalist if you will um he had some unfavorable things to say about the former president uh, last time around so it seems like a lot of these candidates have like one thing or another that Trump could pick out as being either unloyal or unsupportive or, you know, just a one off. And so I think probably candidates who are seeking his endorsement are trying to minimize those things and point to other things they've done to be supportive of Trump. All of which is, of course, assuming that that endorsement is as important to Ohio Republicans as is kind of assumed. It may be that there are more DeWine Republicans and uh, they liked Donald Trump, but they're not, uh, that's not a make or break for them. I don't know, I haven't really seen that indicated anywhere, but it's possible, right? <laughs> I think, I think former President Trump won Ohio by eight percentage points. He twice, did. And that's a fair indication of how much support he has in the Buckeye State, which I imagine has not ebbed tremendously since he's been um, in charge. So I, I think candidates are seeking that endorsement for a reason. They also might be seeking the former president to just stay out of the race. And that's the case in the Ohio governor's race. I think um, it might be beneficial just to sure. let things play out. So we'll see. Now on the democratic side of the Senate race, it definitely appears to be Tim Ryan's to lose. However, there are two other candidates on the ballot, Morgan Harper and Tracy Johnson. What does the state of that race tell you about Ohio politics as a whole? I mean, is this a seat the Democrats could flip or is there too much sort of, you know, it is, it is a pretty red state right now and there's maybe an identity crisis on the Democratic side that, uh, that might hamper their shot? Yeah, I think Democrats are going to take their best shot at this race. It certainly leans Republican. I think you're going to... I think presumably whoever comes out of that primary would be viewed as the front runner in the U.S. Senate race. 
but it, it depends on who wins and whether they're viewed as too extreme for Ohio or kind of too far out there. I think um, Democrats are hoping to paint whoever comes out of that race in that manner. Um, Tim Ryan has has been elected before. He had that short stint running for president, so he has a lot more of the support from endorsements to just like knowing people around the state. That being said, I don't think he has tremendously high name recognition, particularly outside of Northeast Ohio. And so that's something he'll have to contend with. And then Morgan Harper, um, who also challenged Joyce Beatty previously unsuccessfully, is basically saying, you know, Democrats need to shake it up. Like they need to look at a progressive option or a more progressive option. And kind of the way they've been losing these statewide races, you know, why not try something else? And she sees very much Tim Ryan as kind of the <clears throat> status quo for Democratic candidates in Ohio. That being said, I think he's just has tremendously more support in Ohio. So he's likely to win that primary. He, he would appear to be. It, it seems like the difference between the strategies, at least between Ryan and Harper, I really don't know a lot about Johnson other than, you know, her bio a little bit is that you know ryan thinks that there's still a base of sort of blue collar support that their natural home is a centrist democrat they might have crossed over for donald trump but that doesn't mean they cross over for everybody harper's saying we got a lot of progressives in this state that don't vote they feel left behind let's speak to them and see if we can't turn them out it's obviously a taller order to fill um on to the governor's race um you know starting on the republican side you know, there's a few polls out now, and at first blush, they look like DeWine's got a pretty healthy lead. But when you dig into them a little bit, I don't know, they look to me like they could spell some trouble for him because what you'll see is like an 18-point lead for DeWine over his nearest opponent. But then Renacy and Blystone, both in the neighborhood of 20 or so percent, meaning if one of them drops out and consolidates the hard right, DeWine's in trouble. Yeah, polling has been all over the place in this race. So I would, I guess I'd caution everyone. It's a, it's been interesting. There've been a lot of internal polls and some kind of goofy public polls. That being said, <laughs> I think the, the themes that you're expressing are certainly true. There are a number of Ohio Republicans who don't like Mike DeWine. And maybe they didn't like him before COVID-19 pandemic because of you know, like a stance on guns or some other thing. The fact that he has been in politics for quite some time and you're looking for a more anti-establishment candidate. So that already existed, that kind of anti-DeWine sentiment. It certainly grew during the COVID-19 pandemic when you had shutdowns of schools and businesses and even polling locations in the 2020 primary. And that upset a lot of people, that frustrated a lot of people. His goal was to try to reduce the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that was kind of his justification for those decisions, but certainly they had consequences on, you know, economics and um, children's education and so forth. So that kind of anti-DeWine sentiment has grown and um, these three candidates are trying to consolidate that anti-DeWine vote. The problem that they have is there are three of them. So even if that that chunk of Republican voters who don't like Mike DeWine is, is large, um, they're gonna be slicing and dicing it. Unless of course there is one of these sort of meetings with the Godfather at Mar-a-Lago where Donald Trump says, all right, you're my guy, you two are gone. And then they probably do consolidate. That's you know sort of DeWine's worst nightmare then, potentially. 
Yeah, I think if there was one strong candidate against Mike DeWine, that could be problematic. Right now, that's just not the current state of the race. But again, we've got a few days. Right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, I do think Donald Trump weighing in on this race will be interesting whether he will or will not. Um, I, I don't, I think Mike DeWine hasn't been like the largest banger of the Trump drum per se, but he was also a co-chair for the campaign, has been supportive of the former president's policies and, you know, voted for him twice, I believe. I know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then you you have run into other candidates. So former U.S. Representative Jim Renacci, Trump endorsed him in the 2018 Senate bid, but he ultimately didn't go on to win that race against Sherrod Brown. And so that could be a ding against him. The other candidates mm-hmm. you have are like former rep, state rep, uh, Ron Hood, who ran for the 15th congressional district. But when Trump had the opportunity to endorse in that race, he picked Mike Carey instead of Ron Hood. So you figure that probably is significant. And then your your final candidate is Joe Blystone, who is a Canal Winchester farmer who doesn't have a lot of experience in politics and probably not like the name recognition to rise to the level. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's one of the more chaotic scenes you know that you've seen in a while on the democratic side it seems less chaotic i mean it's really just it's cranley or whaley do you think one of them has an edge over the other one seems like whaley right i mean she's got the brown endorsement shared brown yeah i think if you're looking at endorsements so like support from most unions support from Van parenthood support from senator shared brown nan whaley has a lot more of those kind of statewide bigger endorsements than John Cranley does. Um, Their cash on hand, like so how much money they have to go forward in this race was pretty similar in their last filing and substantially less than what Mike DeWine put forward. So I think both of them are going to say like I'm the front runner um, (laughs) and we'll find out on the primary who, who actually is. Do either of them seem like they have a shot at actually winning a general election here? Or I know we're obviously looking at get. We just talked about the chaotic primary, but uh, again, yeah, it's so a. I think, I think it really depends on who emerges from that Republican primary. Mike DeWine is a formidable candidate. He has been in politics for quite some time and has only lost Sherrod Brown and and uh, John Glenn, the astronaut hero for most Americans. So. Yeah. He is a tough person to beat. That being said, we're coming off a COVID-19 pandemic. There is scandal at the Ohio State House. So there are plenty of things for Democrats to try to pick apart. Well, and it seems like the Democrats are really like the, the party strategy seems to be to really hit the HB6 scandal. But I'm not so sure. And, and, and I'd like you to weigh in on this. I'm not so sure that their messaging is that clear with people? Like they're they're talking about HB6 and corruption and they, they assume people know it in those terms, but they're not saying, you know, this was your money they took, you know, which might resonate more. So I'm not so sure if that's really, I don't know if that's the drum that they're beating correctly right now <laughs> as a strategy. It's interesting because I feel like I'm so emerged in this particular investigation, having reported on it Mm -hmm. a lot, but I agree, talking to friends and family, it's maybe not the first thing they think of. 
it is it is stunning that the former speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives is facing federal corruption charges for a $60 million bribery scheme involving a prominent Ohio utility that he has pleaded not guilty to, to the offenses on. So that is massive. But I also think there is this perception that like corruption happens in <laughs> politics. And so perhaps some people are just not surprised that something like this could happen at the Ohio State House. Right, like as a, as a political message, I, I think you would just say it more like, you've been paying for this. This has been on your bill. You know, simple bumper sticker politics, where John Kasich could teach you that, you know, could teach anybody that in, in Ohio. I mean, remember his whole strategy, and I know he's not real popular with Ohio Republicans anymore, but at the time it was all, here was the deficit, now here's the surplus, any questions? That's, you know, that's messaging. I, I do wonder um, if the Democrats' best shot in the governor's race is actually a little bit out of their hands and more going back to the Senate race because it seems to me that there's two type of two types of Ohio Republicans. There's the DeWine Republican who will vote for Josh Mandel, who will vote for Mike Gibbons, who will vote for Donald Trump. And then there's the Josh Mandel Republican who hates Mike DeWine. And whoever turns out the, their voters more, you know, if DeWine turns out a lot of voters, it's gonna help the Senate candidate. But if the Senate candidate turns out a lot of voters, that could leave a lot of blank spots in that governor's race that could open up a vacuum. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, to your point, there's not gonna be like a Josh Mandel, Nan Whaley, Josh Mandel, John Cranley voter, but do those people like leave it blank? They suppress the other vote. Maybe a question. The other factor is, uh, you know, midterms are nationalized elections. Typically, the whoever controls the White House loses seats the, the it two years after the fact. I think Joe Biden's popularity or lack thereof in Ohio is going to be a factor in these races, and it's probably going to help Republicans up and down the ticket. Absolutely. So finally, and I save this for last because it's probably the most important and the hardest for the average person to wrap their head around, is the maps. <laughs> so. I think everybody's heard a lot about the maps, and if you're immersed in this like you or I are, we we understand. Like this is this is representation, and whether or not certain people even really realistically have representation, depending upon how a map is drawn. To the average voter, why is this such a mess? <laughs> so it's such a mess because every ten years we have to redraw the lines for the districts, for the people that we send to Columbus to represent us, and then the people we send to Washington, D.C. to represent us. And we have to do this because population shifts. There's some peop more people in one part of the state and fewer people in the other part of the state. Also, in the case of Ohio, we're losing one congressional district, so we, we can't continue on with 16 districts when we only get 15 people to send to D.C. So that's where we start, and then just where these lines are drawn is political in and voters um, voted in 2015 and 2018 to try to change that to try to put some guardrails in place so that it's less political that it's like quote more more fair quote unquote um, but the groups of people that are working on drawing these maps really just don't agree on how to do it 
And that's led to a lot of clashes with the Ohio Supreme Court, which says they're not doing it the way that Ohio voters wanted them to. And the end result is we're in a place where we're holding a primary on May 3rd, but we aren't 100% sure who's going to be on those ballots and what you're even going to be voting for. And so to the average person now, you know, you you don't like you said you don't know who exactly you're voting for hard to keep track of who your representatives may be and then depending upon where these lines are drawn um you know like in our area um i know one of the proposal actually i think even the current proposal would take certain areas and and it would dilute them along party lines for instance mahoning county is sort of a purple county trumbull county is pretty red but the city of warren is still pretty blue so now those are drawn in such a way where Mahoning is in a district, not with Trumbull, the two population centers no longer together, but with Columbiana County and parts south and Youngstown, which is still pretty blue, actually blue by a lot if you go by the last mayor's race, they could vote, they could have 100% turnout in the city of Youngstown and they really couldn't make any difference in, uh, in a district-wide race. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'm, it's not so much a question as me just sort of, as we talk about this for the, the people listening, it sounds so obtuse that explaining why it matters to the average person is, you know, because if you're a partisan voter and you go, I don't care where the lines are drawn, I vote for people who are Democrats, I vote for people who are Republicans, I'm going to keep doing that, you know. Yeah, but how much that vote counts is what's at, at play here more than anything, right? Yeah, and that's the challenge. And when you're looking at it at a statewide level, I mean, Democrats tend to live in the cities, to your point about Youngstown, but that's true in Columbus and Cleveland and Cincinnati as well. Um, to take a district I, I know a little bit better, just in the Hamilton County region, they're combining the city of Cincinnati with Warren County, which is kind of to the northeast of them. And the result is the city of Cincinnati voted 75% for Biden over Trump in 2020, whereas Warren County voted 65% for Trump over Biden. And so fundamentally, those voters just don't agree on who they want to represent them. And it's not like the voters in Warren County are wrong or the voters in Cincinnati are wrong. They just would pick someone different to represent them if given the chance. And so that's the fundamentals of redistricting and why it matters. Sure, sure. And so the lines don't have to be drawn to make it even necessarily. People don't vote evenly, but it's supposed to be as close as possible to not being disenfranchising people. I mean, that's about a simple way to put it, right? Yeah, that's the goal. And Ohio yeah. is a, an interesting stage is the way where people live. Um, there are a lot more counties that would vote Republican that have smaller populations, but like are more spread out over the state. Whereas you kind of have your population centers in, in the cities, which tend to vote more democratic. And so when you're trying to draw these lines, creating like drawing districts that would favor Democrats are going to be closer to the cities or maybe the suburban <clears throat> areas. And then there are other larger swaths of land that they could be voting uh, Republican pretty consistently. I will say like people will say like, oh, I really wish I could get rid of if you're a Republican like Joyce Beatty or if you're a Democrat, uh, Jim Jordan. But those districts are just in places where 
consistently a Republican or a Democrat is going to win by by the nature of where people live. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think the May 3rd primary happens or do you think that it has to be moved to August? Or do you think they will move it to August even if it does need to be? <laughs> Oh gosh, this is such a mess right now. Okay, <laughs> if if the Ohio Supreme Court has a problem with either the state house map that was just passed or the congressional map that was just passed, there's no way we can hold a primary on May 3rd. So it's worth watching what the Ohio Supreme Court does on those two items. Um, that being said, I think election officials and even the Secretary of State himself has said this is a horrible time crunch. Uh, the Ohio legislature just approved nine million more dollars for overtime and just to try to give these elections officials an opportunity to do this. But the ballots right now for overseas Ohioans and those in the military need to be sent out by March 18th. And we're not 100% sure if the districts that are on those ballots are going to be valid at that point. So we're just like really coming up real close to that primary. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I appreciate your time. I'd like to, you know, throughout this political cycle, talk to you again. Um, but I appreciate you being here and, and spending a fair amount of time going over everything. Thank you very much. Happy to help. Absolutely. All right, so we're clear here. Um, I, I'll let you in on this. We're going to start a five o'clock newscast um, come the like end of the summer. Um, I mean, how amenable would you be at some point to being sort of a go-to political... I'm sorry, can you not hear me? <laughs> sorry, you cut out there a little bit. Oh. I missed you. We, uh, we don't have a 5 o'clock newscast yet. We're going to be launching one in uh, the end of the summer. And so I'm kind of just feeling out people who might be kind of recurring guests to talk about different things as they come up. I mean, would that be something that, you know, I, I don't obviously can't predict what the topic is going to be on Labor Day when this launches. Um, but, you know, sometimes give you a call and, uh, and maybe come on that broadcast. Yeah, I'm happy to help as long as it's like not too consistently, you know, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not talking every day or anything. We're just talking, you know. Every day when we're going through and figuring out what we're going to do, we go, well, this, that, that, that would be a five o'clock interview, you know, and, and, uh, and eventually we're going to get to the point where we're really booking those. So, um, yeah. so we'll stay in touch. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Just stay in touch. And if I'm available and it works out, I'm to help. But yeah, I appreciate it's it. interesting what's happening with your, your, like your neck of the woods on congressional maps too. That was helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there's been no map that wouldn't basically completely, <laughs> com completely dilute Youngstown and Warren. I haven't seen one that wouldn't do that, and uh, and that's not entirely, you know, like that's not entirely, you know, malfeasance. That is just the fact that those are both in counties that were blue for a long time, and now they're red. The city stayed blue. That's uh, just I the think way they're it went. prioritizing creating a Democratic seat in like Summit, Summit and Stark counties. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna like if there are voters in that region, they're not gonna like jag like pull them over to the Youngstown area. I think. Yeah, <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna go that far out to have this weird shaped district that puts us somehow as we're we're part of Cleveland now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I yeah, they have. Thanks. <laughs> Bye.